So after, after I did my prep, then this morning I was just doing my, my daily morning devotion, and I was reading the same passage. There was something that uh, I didn't put in my notes, but it just came. I felt like it's a good point um, where we can start. By the way, to talk three of our mini-series, it's a long, we are going through the book of James, uh, but we've break it into different uh, f- five weeks, six weeks, and this particular one we are looking at, it's week three, or talk three of uh, five weeks, and uh, we are looking at a faith that grows through trials, and today I am going to be speaking about remem- reminding us of what truly matters. Now, as I was doing my devotion, I think then this question come to mind, um, like, what really matters to you? Um, and what really matters to me? Like, it's just a question like, Andre, what really matters in your life? What really matters? And uh, I, I put, uh, I, I write my answer down. If maybe you are going to be, you are going to forget all that I'm going to say today, but please keep that question. Go write it down and go write your answer. Um, it's not on my slides, but, um, uh, but it's a question that just I wrote down, and you can go write it down. Um, and um, for me, the answer I wrote down, I'll share it with you. To know Christ and to make him known. Um, is to know him and to make him known. Whether on the pulpit, in my day-to-day life, whenever I found myself, I really want to know him more, and I want to make him known. And uh, at any cost, by the way. And um, uh, this will mean that uh, when he wanted to be, when the opportunity came to corrupt my heart, I can remind myself of, uh, of this. To know him and to make him known, no matter what. And um, I launched this series by saying that James was stressing about the life of Christians and the faith of, and our faith. Like, there is no way you can, you can claim to be a Christ follower, but living a life that does not correspond with what you believe and I mentioned that it's quite a practical book, but it speaks of, uh, of, of, of a day-to-day life. Uh, it, it, catches, it touches on different kinds of themes, and today I am dealing with the most tricky one, because James got to the point in chapter, nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 to 12, he's talking about the rich and poor. It is very tricky. Yeah, but if he was going to be writing to our context in Weinbeck, maybe I would say that he's uh, addressing those who are resourceful and those who are under-resourced. I think rich sounds a little bit too too big. Um, So we are going to be spending time together looking at the the four verses, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11 and 12 uh, in James chapter 1. And uh, 
And I want to say up front that uh, being poor isn't your identity. And uh, being rich, that's not your identity either. So, and here it is not spiritual poverty. James is not talking about spiritual richness. He's referring to wealth. He's writing into a context where that probably the issue of, uh, you know, the the poor, looking down on them. And the poor, obviously, had also this attitude of looking down on themselves. And these few verses speaks about the two types of people, but later on in chapter 2, which I am going to touch on, it raises that you know, that issue again. But we are going to go in detail when we get to chapter 2. But today I'm, I'm going to touch as well in chapter 2 where he again pressed hard on the point between the rich and the poor. But he, in chapter 2, it does not only point between the rich and the poor, include even the third group of people. It speaks about the person hosting, and I'm going to touch on that uh, this morning. Is speaking about someone hosting these two types of people and how he sees them and how he relates to them. My prayer this morning is that as we leave this place, maybe you will position yourself in these particular four verses, maybe also in chapter two. Where do you stand? What really matters to you? Friends, I've come to learn. We are here today, we are gone tomorrow. What's the use? What's the use of fighting? What's the use of allowing our hearts get corrupted by things that are perishable? What's the use? I've had someone said to me before I read the passage that, Andre, sometimes you go too hard when you speak. You speak too passionate, you go too hard. Jesus was never, and you never, he was loving and kindness, compassionate, etc., but he never wanted to compromise on what was the truth. I would never compromise when it comes to scriptures, to the gospel. Am I, do I got it all right? No, I don't have. I'm a work in progress. God is working in my own life. But, um, scriptures are clear. When we read some stuff in the Bible, that the way they are said, then we are to live like that. Let's read. Let the lonely brothers boast in his exhortation and the rich in his humiliation. This is very tough. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. Its, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood and test, when, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In other version, it says, "Blessed is the man who endures." You know, so it's all we endure as the trial. So verse 9 to 11, there are 
there are two things that we pick up from these verses. The first one is humility. And the second one is endurance. Humility, we see it from verse 9 to 11. And in verse 12, it, talk, it speaks about endurance. So humility, according to C.S. Lewis, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Sounds like the same thing. It's different. And uh, then you get Dr. Tim Keller. He expands on this idea. I didn't say killer. I said Keller. Did I say killer or Keller? He says this. He expands on this idea, the definition of humility. He says the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sin, sorry, sin, sin failing, sin, sin failing, which simply means uh, either complain or cry, and the other one, it has to do with behavior, swaggering. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself, nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Is this not incredible? I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. But the big idea is humility. Humility is something that one cannot claim. I cannot stand here to say I am a humble person. If that is not experienced by those who are around me. You cannot claim to be humble if people around you don't experience it. It is other people who will have to talk about your humility, but not you having to claim that you are, you are, you are a humble person. Then verse 12, it's endurance, which we are going to get into that a little bit later. Now, according to the NIV study Bible, when, they look at these, um, when we look at these four verses, they say both poverty and riches bring enormous pressure to focus on the world rather than on God. How possible is that? How possible is that someone who is poor can have enormous pressure to focus on the things of the world rather than God? Because the person who is poor, the, who is poor materially poor, the mentality is looking and admiring the people who have and so that they can associate themselves their identity to saying, if I have those things, then I'm going to mean something in society. 
Then I'll be accepted, then people invite me in their homes, then people are going to think I'm very important. We associate our identity to what we have. That's what we find in society. That's the, the poverty mentality. And that also lacks humility. Because you are not satisfied or you are not content with who you are in terms of your status in Christ. So let's go to verse 9 and 10. Let the lonely brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humility because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, what is, just, what is James talking about the lonely brother here? Why is he saying they have to boast? They have to boast in what? Or another words, another version, it speaks about they have to glory. To glory in what? They have to glory in their high status in Christ. You are the glory of who you are in Jesus. Therefore, don't be tempted to think that by acquiring or by achieving a particular, by having things or having more stuff is what is going to give you a new identity. No, you have the identity already. If you are in Christ, you have to boast and glory in the identity of who you are as a child of God. By the way, I wrote something down this morning. Scripture tells us that when we believe, when we receive Christ and when we believe in him, we are given the rights. We are not given the wealth. We are given the right to be children of God. It's an identity issue. We are not given the wealth, we are not given anything, we are given the right. Now, this should speak to both. Those who are resourceful or the rich, to, you have to be reminded that your identity is not in, the, in, in what you have. And if you are poor, your identity, you are given the right. Maybe when speaking about the right, you might not get this. I am a foreigner in this nation, but this is now my home. Now, what makes it possible for this, for this to be my home? It is some people with authority at the Department of Home Affairs who gave me the right to live here. And without that right, I cannot claim the identity to be a resident of this country. So therefore, I can rejoice in my status, not in what I have. You can have so many things, but if the Department of Home Affairs don't give you the right to live here, you're not going to live here. Can you see? There are things that wealth can respond to, and there are things that money cannot do. God gives us the right to be called the children of God when we receive Christ and when we believe in him. Therefore, the lonely brother, the lonely sister, those who are poor, you have to rejoice, you have to boast, you have to glory in your status as a child of God. In contrast, James exhorts the rich to boast in their humility. But how can one boast in their humility? You says uh, uh, humiliation. Sorry. Boast in your humiliation. How possible is that? I have to boast in my humiliation. At least two things. The rich or those who are resourceful have to realize that their wealth is temporary. 
That's what James is trying to say. Your wealth is temporary. And that, it brings them, or it brings you, to no advantage before God. The way the society view you, as a wealth person, it's not the same way that God sees you. There is nothing wrong to be rich. God blesses people. He blesses us and he can bless you with things. But what James is trying to address here is saying, you have to understand the status you are holding or the way other people can view you. This is not the same way. It means nothing before God. It is temporary. In other words, don't trust in your riches. Because those things are here today, tomorrow they are gone. No wonder why you find people, when they lose a lot of money, when they lost their properties, etc., they fall into depression because all their life was attached to the things that God had blessed them with. Your identity shouldn't be connected to that. Do not let your wealth define you. You are a child of God, and that is enough. Your desire should be to know him and to make him known. Your desire and your proud, your glory, your boast should be, thank God I know him and I am known by him, and all these other things, is, it's just his blessing. But I'm glad that I'm known by God, and I'm glad that I know him. What a great privilege. And all that I have, belongs to him, is just entrusting them to me as a good steward. I, therefore, I need to manage these things well in order to give him glory. I really want to see a lot of wealthy people coming to Weinbeck. I was expecting an amen. Because God is the one, is the giver of those things. God blesses. We cannot deny that. But the danger is when you start to think that you are defined by what you have. That's a danger. God calls you to humility and to trusting Jesus. Don't trust other things. I love what Dr. Tim says on this. God sees us as we are, whether poor or rich. He sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and expects us and accept us as we are, but by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. So he loves us as we are. You come here, you see yourself as a nobody in the society, or you see yourself as somebody in the society, but God wants all of you, all of us to come. He loves us the way we are. But what God wants to change is our mindset. He doesn't want to leave us the same way that he founds us. So if, he, for instance, you were praising yourself because of what you've worked hard for, and when you come to know Christ, you have to learn to humble yourself with the humility and whatever you have as a gift from God. And the praise you are getting from other people, you start to sit and say, do I really deserve this? I am no better than these other people. We are all the same. And when you do not have those things, you look at yourself, he said, I am no less than that person. We are all one in Christ. You are no less. You are no better. We are all one in Christ. 
Come on, Ground Church Weinbecker. I don't want us to miss the opportunity for God to use this community as the gospel vehicle to bring about reconciliation between men and God and also among us people here in this city. The future for this church, whether Andrew and Sabrina will be here one day, the vision, the future is God to use this community as a vehicle, gospel vehicle to bring about reconciliation. These are just the beginning, and, but this can only happen when we, our mind, are renewed. And we get to the point when we stop to see each other as different. When you look at me, you don't see me as another person. When I look at you, I don't see you as another person. I see someone who is loved by God. You look at me, someone loved by God. We are all one. We are all same. There is no different. Therefore, from that point of view, we are going to start to see the end of God at work in this community and in our lives. Still under the point of the rich are to speaks about the rich are to boast in their humiliation. Uh, the other thing is that the rich or those who are resourceful are to identify with the poor in their affliction. You are to identify with the poor. And again, I say those who are resourceful in this community. I'll use that language, not those who are rich. Dr. Tim says. If you have been assigned the goods of this world by God and you don't share them with others, it isn't just stinginess, it is injustice. It is injustice. If God has blessed you with the things of this world, he's entrusted them to you. Friends, I want to insist that you can work hard, but I want you to know your talents, your gift is from God. Whatever you have, God gave it to you. And the best way we encourage people in this community to share of our resources is through the local church. We've got what we call the Mercy Fund in this community. The reason why we established that was because we don't want people who are resourceful to give directly to people who are under-resourced because the moment you give directly to them, they are going to feel as though they owe you something. Now, every time they see you, then it is awkward. There is no authentic relationship. They see you as a master and they see themselves as servants. And we said, that is not wisdom. The best way to do is to give towards the local church and to even make a note to say, this we are giving for a particular person, but don't tell them that it's coming from us. Because you want to build authentic relationships rather than you are wanting someone to know that you are the one helping them directly. Then they become like servants. You can build a healthy relationship. I am speaking from experience, I know. Friends, I've been in Common Ground Church for 14 years. I have been in this country for 17 years. Common Ground Church is my second church. I served in one church in Musenbeck where I was assisting the pastor there only for a few years. Then I went to Common Ground Church, then Friends First, and I've been there for 14 years. And I know what I'm talking about. The moment you help someone directly, it is awkward. You are creating a healthy relationship. Let's share through the law. But that doesn't stop you from buying someone a grocery. doesn't stop you from inviting someone into your home to have meals, etc. 
And let me tell you something that you have to learn even to avoid. I'm speaking to those who have resources. I used to tell people, I remember many years ago, when they invite me, for instance, those who have means or resources to have lunch or dinner, at the end of the day, they said, they pack the stuff and give it to me. I said, but why are you giving this to me? Because there are so many other people. Already for me, in my mind, in my thinking, because culture, context is different, you are thinking of me very low than yourself. But maybe the intention wasn't wrong. Can you see why if we start to build healthy relationship, authentic relationship in this community, we are going to learn each other's background and we are going to understand the differences, but we look at ourselves as one under the throne of the living God. Therefore, we can really journey together and we can really do mission together well. We encourage people to give via the local church. In the book of Acts, they, were, they, they, they really amazed a lot of people because it is a principle that we see in the scripture. They were not keeping it to themselves. They were bringing it to the, to the leaders. We see the story of uh, Peter and Aeneas come, and Peter, he went, he saw the property, etc. come. We see all these things. It's biblical. When, when you bring it to the house of God, there is a proper way of knowing who is in need because the elders, if you trust them, they know, and the deacons in this community, they know the people who are going through different, um, different journeys, struggling, etc., and the we are going to apply our wisdom to get on how to help those people. James chapter 2, uh, continuing on this same, um, same topic of uh, humility and uh, of treating, uh, looking at one another in, in, in a godly way. And uh, verse 2, it says uh, to verse 4, For if a man wearing a god ring, which we don't have in Weinbeck, and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who, wearing, uh, who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Ah, this is very challenging. Now, assembly could be a Christian house or a church, like the way we are, but I'm glad we don't have, we don't have special seats in this community. In Weinbeck, there is no special seat. You can come wearing your rings, but there is no special seat. There is no, no names, no reserved, not even a reserved parking. If the elders come and the parking is full, we can look for parking anywhere else we want to find the parking. But there is no even reverse. No special treatment. I also walk into the rain the same way that you walk into the rain. Can be elders. No umbrella for me. This is what the Bible is calling us to. You cannot look at other people and say, that person do not deserve to be here, or that person deserves to be here. But having said even if this is not the reality in our community in terms of practicality or logistic way of speaking, but it can be an issue at a heart level. Now get me carefully. It can be an issue at a heart level that at a heart level we can be applying this without knowing consciously or maybe consciously. 
All right, I know you're looking at me and say, Andre, this is what, what are you trying to say? All right, let me give you a practical thing to do. Go home today, take your cell phone, look into your phone book or contact list, and ask yourself these questions. When you are looking at those numbers, who are the people on that list who you value the most and why? You consider them, you value them, you do check on them, and why not others? Just go do that today. Then you realize that you are applying this, but not in a very practical way, but you are applying it at a lot at level. You are very selective. And let's be honest, we are human beings. And then we fall into those traps of what can I get out of that relationship? Is that not so? Now, this is not only, this doesn't apply only to those who have means, but even those who don't have means. They also look for relationship to what can I get out of it? They look at Andra and Sabria, they say, oh, we can go to Andra and Sabria, what are they going to, go to, to do to, for us? Let's go to that and that person. Go back into your phone book today or your contact list and see whether you are not applying this. Whether you are not looking at who is the person who is wearing a God chain, who is having a massive home, who is having a nice place, a nice vehicle, a nice this. Who is that person? Who is having a good job? This is the person I should talk to because it's going to benefit me. I want to be friends with this person because I'm going to benefit from it. Friends, I'm speaking in Weinbeck because this is not another context. This is Common Ground Church Weinbeck, where God has blessed us with the diversity that we are, but we shouldn't just boast of it. If it brings, it doesn't really reflect what the scriptures are wanting us to be, how we should be living. Sometimes I, I, I fall into these traps personally. I do. I do. As a leader, as an elder, when you've got, um, you are thinking large, you are thinking, who are the people I can bring around me who understand the vision so quick than other people? You can miss godly moments to invest into other people because of your judgment you can really reach and miss the opportunity and God's blessing because you judge just by looking at a person. God is calling us to humility. We have to look at people and see the value and the contribution that we all bring to the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no Congolese, there is no Zimbabwean, there is no Western... German, American, or whatever, we are all one in Christ. And if God puts you in this community and you are working against God's plan for the unity, you will encounter God. The body of Christ is to be united for his glory.
If you work against it, you are not working against human being. You are working against God, and you will encounter God. I'm not saying anything is happening. I'm just letting you know. But then you might have a question to say, but Andre, like we see in the book of Acts, what should I do? Or what should we do? The answer is in verse 12. Because all these things, I see them as temptations and as trials. When, when you, are, you, are, you, are, you are forced to choose between that and that one, all those are temptations. When you are forced to, but listen to what James says. Blesses the man who remains steadfast under the trial. When you are tempted, when, when you, are, you, you are in a position to choose between Alois and Andre. And, and you are tempted under that, you said, okay, I, I, I'm not really going to give up to this. I am going to see these people the same. For when he has stood the test, you can see it is the test. All of us will continue. We are going to be tested each and every time. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, the reward for those who endure is what James is talking about here. Remember, James returns to the theme that he introduced in verse 2. He returns there. I spoke about this in the first week. So he returned back to that. He's pointing us, but he's not talking about the crown that is going to fade. He's not talking about the crown that you get when you run a marathon, then they give you a crown. He's not speaking about what they put on top of the kings. That's not what he's talking about. You know, Paul uh, gets us to understand what James is saying when he speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. The reason we do what we do the reason we love our neighbors, the reason we have to love each other, the reason we have to fight for unity, the reason we have to invest and sacrifice our lives into the kingdom to advance the gospel, it's because we are looking to that eternal prize. To know him and to make him known, I am not in this life. I might not see the benefit of what I'm doing now. It's okay. Jeremiah was a prophet, but he was not like today's prophets who have massive houses, big cars, and all that. He was not like that. But yet he was. No wonder he's, he's referred to as a weeping prophet. People push him back. Today everyone wants to hear what God is saying, and people go, wow, a prophet gift. Ah! But Jeremiah was not a case. He goes, he speaks, they say, go away. Go away. But you and I today, we are speaking about prophet Jeremiah. We are seeing the kind of a person this man was, what he went through. He persevered. He endured the pain. So all of us, we are called as cross followers. Temptation, the test will come, but we are to look forward to that prize. We are to think about the reward that we get from our heaven father. There is stuff that God has promised. If we truly love him, we will truly keep his commandments. That's what John 14, 15 said. And which we can do with the help of the Holy Spirit. So again, this is not for me. If you want to know 
What should you do? I think you have to remember is that um, Romans 6, 3 to 5, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in newness of life. Not the way we were living before. Not the same way as the world and our cultures is calling us to live, but we are living in differently, a different way. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall eternally, eh, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's not under, um, but it's a passage that you have to reflect on. So if you are one of those people who value yourself or elevate yourself above other people, my advice to you this morning is to repent and ask God for forgiveness. If you are one of those people who trust your wealth, I want to remind you that your identity is not in what God has given you. Your identity is in your giver, is in God. Stop trusting your wealth. Start trusting God. If you are one of those people who have understood that Christ is owed to you and you are at peace with that, but yet you are tempted, every single day you are tempted to pursue things that you think will give you identity, things that will give you comfort and contentment, I want you to write Romans 12, verse 12, on the walls in your room, at your office, everywhere, but most important, I want you to write it on the tab of your heart. Here's what it says. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Remind yourself of this passage each day. Look at that. When tested, when tempted, remain content on who you are in Christ. This is the passage with many other few verses in the Bible that have kept me to continue to do what I do, no matter what. Your marriage is going to be tempted. You will be shaken. Your work is going to be shaken. Your children are going to be giving you tough time, trouble, sickness, and all kinds of things. But I want you to continue in prayer. Faithful in prayer, joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Continue to do that. You have to depend on God's help than your own. You have to trust God more than you trust yourself. You have to trust his power more than you trust any other powers or resources. Only God can. Without God, we can't. But with him, we can. Can I invite us to stand?
Today it was about reminding us of what, what truly matters. What truly matters is not how much we can have in this life. Or is not how much we do have in this life. What truly matters is knowing, knowing him and knowing that you are known by him and make him known. I just got a sense that I want to encourage us before we can leave this place. And I'm saying this really from the deepest bottom of my heart. You might not see the importance of the people God has put around you today. The relationships that you have, you have to treasure them. I sense this in, in my spirit, and I'm saying this. Treasure the relationships that you have. Don't take them for granted. Friends God has put around you, siblings, parents, and I'm saying this because God knows why maybe he wanted me to say this. If there are things that you are unresolved issues, please go resolve them. Go deal with those things. Go deal with them. Go resolve those issues. Relationship is key. It's not part of the message that I've spoken today, but I've got a sense God is wanting to do something in some lives of people and God is wanting you to go fix those relationships. Treasure them. Take a phone, take a phone make a phone call and say, you know what, let's connect. Let's talk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fix those relationships. I'm repeating again, go fix those relationships and treasure those people. Not every person is going to agree with you. Not every person is going to fall into what you are wanting, the way you want things to go. But, but you know what? We have to put our weapons down and surrender to God and let only His will be done in our lives. And I feel that's what God is wanting for some people this morning when it comes to relationships. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I am just your servant. I am just like everyone else who has been sitting here listening to me. I hope, Lord, that they haven't listened to Andre. I, I pray that they've listened to you. The same way that you've challenged me personally with this message as I was preparing. The same way that you led me to think about my own areas where I'm needing to grow, my own weaknesses. Lord, I pray that you will speak to my brothers and sisters, that you will help them out of today's talk, that they'll be able to write down the things that you want them to repent of. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you will help all of us not to trust in the things that are perishable, not to trust in the things that are going to fade, but to trust in you, Jesus.
Lord, I pray that we help us to be the people who won't associate our identity with the things, the material things which are here today and gone tomorrow. Lord, help us to stand firm in you, Jesus Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray for the relationships that maybe at this point of time they are a father-son relationship, a father-daughter relationship, Lord, a husband and wife and siblings, oh Lord, employee and employer, Lord, I pray that you'd, you know, you'd help, oh God, your sons and daughters to take courage out of this place to make, to fix those relationships. They are not losers. And it's not about winning. It's about giving you the glory. And it's about honoring you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for Common Ground Church, Wangbeck, that this community will be a community that you will use as a vehicle, gospel vehicle, to bring about reconciliation in this nation. Between you and us, and between different groups of people to the glory of your name. Amen. God bless you.